notice that? That's kind of crazy. Doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, I was hailing uh, when I woke up my daughter from her nap today. That's kind of crazy. Um, cool. Well, uh, I haven't gotten as much time up here with you guys of late, and I've missed it. Um, today, uh, oh, is that you, Larry? Thanks. In the Korean dramas, it's like this, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, we're starting out there. I know too much. All right. Um, so we've been preaching through the book of Matthew. It took us about three years to go through that. I know, it's been good. And <clears throat> what's also been good is this week I was hanging out and just talking to the Lord and asking him what, what, uh, what I could speak on. And I felt like uh, there's probably less than an exegetical message here. Sorry, James. There's probably less than kind of like my normal these days, which is a deep kind of like digging through the word and, and pulling out of it. But this is more of kind of like a, a family talk, if you will. Um, there's something that God's been putting on my heart kind of over and over again, honestly, for the last couple of months. And so just wanted to share with you some thoughts. There probably won't be three points. So for those Jays that are note-taking, you know, sorry to disappoint change your outline now. Um, but uh, I'd love to just share with you some of the things that God's got stirring in me lately, and hopefully it bless you. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. <coughs> Jesus, I thank you for this space where we can have the opportunity to rally around your word, uh, both your written word and your now active word. And God, I ask that your spirit would bring to life the word of God in a way that it shapes us and it molds us. God, I pray that this would not be like a classroom space where it's about intellectual acquisition of knowledge, where we are primarily listening with our brains and our minds uh, for the sake of accumulating knowledge, God, but this would be a place where our spirits are alive and can discern the things of the Lord and can embrace and welcome in the things that, that you have going on in the mysterious realm that's unseen. And so, God, I pray that even this time would be deeply spiritual, that it wouldn't just be a, a carnal exercise where we learn something and walk out the same. But we ask that by the power of the Spirit, God, that you would shape and move us and that we'd be able to be conformed into the likeness of beautiful Jesus. And so we give you space and time, and we come with expectation with that as our ends. In Jesus' name, amen. So the thing that I've been praying for and wanting for us is I want, um, I want everybody to have a really deep and rich inner life. Um, you know, if you... If you go around and you talk to people about what they're going after, or if you're in conversations and you start to hear what people are pursuing, I think one of the core things that will be kind of the, a theme that will come through, probably more indirectly than directly, is that people are seeking a really deep and rich inner life. And I think there's a realization, at least mentally with most people, that if you have all that the world has to offer, but you don't have a deep, rich inner life, it's kind of all for naught. You know, and I think, you know, oftentimes in the work world, I'll talk to people and people will say, you know, I'm a deeply spiritual person. And I think what, what I'm hearing when I hear somebody say that 
And when I listen to them kind of understand what that means to them is that they understand and recognize that there's something beyond what we see and feel and touch and smell every day. That there's, a, uh, there's an invisible realm that's deeply meaningful and that we're all kind of in some way or another kind of trying to figure out how we engage that and how that leads to richness of life and how that shapes the things that we do. And one of the things that I'm so thankful for is, you know, like when you talk about being a deeply spiritual person, it's so broad and so vague, and it could go like any direction. Like, where do you go with that? But thanks be to God that he's given us a book that we can grab hold of and say, okay, what does it mean to be spiritual? What is going on in the spiritual realm? How do I engage it? How do I engage it in a way that brings life and not death? Because not all spiritual things bring life. And, uh, and so to have a compass and a guide in the form of, of his written word and then have a compass and a, and a guide in the form of his spirit is, uh, is our lifeblood. That's how we do this well. And so when we talk about something like desiring a deep, rich inner life, I wanted to dig into the word and I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to illumine some of the scriptures that we'll talk about because there's, there's two ways that we can go through this world. And the way that the New Testament talks about this is there's a life in the flesh and there's a life in the spirit. The life in the flesh is filled with all of the things that we see and, and you know, great food and, and looking to money to satisfy and uh, a great sex life and... Did he just say sex in church? Yeah. A great sex life and ambitions for the things that we can do in the world and, you know, these types of things. We'll read more about kind of life in the flesh. But that's what, you know, those are the allures of the flesh, the things that pull on our natural, the natural senses and the natural way that, you know, our bodies operate. And then there's this other rich life called life in the spirit. And everything about life in the spirit hinges around the Holy Spirit. It's a recognition from the very get-go that we only have a shot at a rich inner life because we have the Holy Spirit. And there's this really interesting thing that we see is that the Christian life is an invitation into oneness with the Holy Spirit of God. That God has a spirit and when Jesus left this earth, he sent that spirit into this world such that we could become one with his spirit and operate down here in a way where we're one. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the vision. That is the, that's the rich inner life. That is the life in the Spirit, where we know the things of the Spirit. We share His mind. We know His heart, how He feels about things. We know what He's doing at any particular time, and we join Him in that. And then there's this rich inner life. In Romans 8, it talks about how the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we're children, that we're loved, that we can cry out to him as like our father, our dad, uh, that he's there for us always in every kind of provision. And this is oneness with the Spirit. But there's an interesting thing. I do a lot of weddings, and one of the things that I usually articulate at weddings is that the vision of marriage is oneness between the couple. Like, really what, what marriage is, if you boil it down, is that two people become one, and you operate as a single unit. Now, 
the interesting thing about that is, is, as we parallel it to kind of the life in the Spirit, is that we've all seen great marriages and we've all seen terrible marriages. In, in theory, both of those marriages, you know, like, there's a reality that you're one. So, you know, like, when you go up there and you say the vows and you have covenant and then you do the marriage bed business, you know, there's something happens there that you become one. Like, that's real. But in this other very real sense, there's plenty of marriages where you're not operating at one at all. And you're on completely different pages, and you have separate bank accounts, and you have separate desires, and like, hey, I want to live here, but you want to live here, and so, you know, like, fine, I'll give you, I'll give into your will here, but, but that means that we're going where I want on vacation, or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it's divided. It's like not, that's not marriage. That's not how it's supposed to operate. <clears throat> And I feel like, in a similar way, sometimes we can say, well, the Christian life is you become one with God. And the answer is absolutely yes. Like, that's what happens when you receive Jesus and what he's done for you. It makes a way for his spirit to be able to come into a now holy place because Jesus has made it holy by his blood. And you invite the Holy Spirit to come and become one with your spirit. But how many of y'all know that there's a big difference between that and actually walking out oneness with Christ? Actually walking out oneness of this really deep, rich spiritual life where your spirit and God's spirit are one. And you kind of don't know where yours ends and his begins. And, you know, like, what's your stuff and what's my stuff? That doesn't exist. Like, wait, was that your idea or was that my idea? It's like, I don't know. Like, that, that becomes oneness with Christ. And so that's all a, a kind of a, a little bit of a backdrop to talking about kind of these two realms that we can live in. And the reason why I'm up here today and my deep desire by the power of the Spirit is that we would be compelled to be hungry and zealous and jealous for a deep life in the Spirit that we'd understand that that is our birthright as born-again people, that that is our very birthright, that that is the richness of God, that oneness with his Holy Spirit, that's the great reward. That is the great reward. And I want to I try to elevate the importance of our life connected to the Holy Spirit of God in this time. And propose to you that if we have a shot at any kind of richness, if we have a shot at the abundant life, if we have a shot at deep connection with God, it's only going to happen through his spirit. And so we're going to read some passages um, that talk about this, but, but that's where we're going. So in John 14, it says this, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, don't you like that that's in parentheses? It's like, since everybody knows the end of the story here. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? This is a really interesting question. I think sometimes we blaze right past this question. God, why do you, why do you intend to show yourself to us but not, not to them? I think I want to start with just the obvious point that like 
there's a, an obvious statement in here, but like not everybody gets the same revelation, revelation to God in this. Right? Like that is the assumption behind the question itself. I think like there, there are certain people here that are getting a direct revelation of God and there's other people here that are not getting a direct revelation of God. And that's an interesting starting place in itself. And so it's a great question, right? Like, why does that happen? There's plenty of people where I've heard stories about the revelation of God that they've been given in their life, and I'm so, like, jealous, in a holy way, I hope, of that revelation, right? Like, there's times in my life where I've had encounters with God where he's so, like, tangible and real and right there. And then there's other times where I feel like he's shrouded and behind a curtain and I'm kind of grasping around. And I feel like I've talked to people where that's a dynamic that's played out too, where it's almost like they're hearing my stories and going like, oh yeah, but that's not my experience and I could never have that and that's not something that I expect from God. And this question kind of teased some of that stuff up. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us but not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home in them. How crazy intimate is that? Like, we will make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All these I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. I do, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus answers this question as to, hey, why are you giving us such a deep revelation of you? Why have you unveiled yourself to us, but you're not doing it to those out there. And Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings, is the headline as to the thing he says. Now, one of the things that you've, if you've been coming to this church in the last few weeks, I, I gave my wife the, the pulpit a few times, and she brought the fire and the sword in a pretty, <laughs> pretty intense way. Like, she's been speaking passionately the word of God uh, things that are are tough and that are wrestling and that address our stuff and that cut and you know in a, in a really good way in a really good way and I think there's a realization here in the scriptures that anybody who loves Jesus is going to obey his teaching and it's on the heel of that that he talks about the deepest form of revelation of God and he says my Father will love them. Who? The ones that obey Jesus' teachings. Those are the people that he will come to, and those are the people that he will make his home in. There's a deep reality that has to do, that, 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 that this, is, this is 100% true and real. That if we want to experience the deepest things of the kingdom— we have to be open to be moving and shaped and being uncomfortable and doing things that are out of our comfort zone and letting God take stuff from us 
and give stuff maybe that we don't want and challenge us to do stuff that we don't think we can do. And we have to be in a place where we're so hypersensitive to the things of his spirit that we're constantly being moved and molded by him and understand that the richness of the life in the spirit is one in which we're obeying the teachings of Christ and the moving of his spirit. And the reason why I bring that up is because I will be the first one to confess that I want the deepest things of God without any of the hard stuff. Like, I do. Like, it, it hurts when you get something pried out of your hands, or it hurts when he refines you through the fire. It hurts when, you know, the, the Spirit of God is pushing on something in your life that you know shouldn't be there, and he's like, he won't relent. And I have this, like, efficiency mindset where I'm always trying to maximize my things in the Spirit while minimizing my effort. <laughs> you know? It's like an equation in my head that's constantly going on. And I, I had this moment, like, the last few weeks where I was kind of like, I remember when I first fell in love with Jesus that, man, I was, like, I was praying all the time like hours a day. I was like hungry in his word, just digging it up, prying through there, looking for revelation. There was these um, prayer meetings that were always going on at the ark. Like anytime you wanted a prayer meeting, you could have one kind of thing. It was actually kind of awesome. You know, it's like there were scheduled ones and then there's ones where you just show up and you grab three people and you go into the attic and, you know, start praying. And, and, we were doing that all the time, like hours and hours and hours and hours. And there was this hunger and this fire and this expectation that like, I know God is the treasure of my life. I know that I get according to my hunger and my seeking and my longing and my pushing and my willingness to be disrupted and my obedience and my desire to push through relationally and stay connected to the people around me. And like all of these things that Jesus talks about in terms of how to do life really well and stay rich in the spirit— like, I was so fiery to go after those things. And I think there was kind of a moment for me where I'm like, just a good little check. Like, how am I, how am I in that area? Like, am I too much on the, you know, like, I want the rich things, but not the input side of thing? You know, because like, God is a gracious God. There's plenty of things in his kingdom that you don't have to work for to get. He's so gracious that way. I went through this whole period of my life where the whole thing was about God giving me stuff that I didn't deserve. And all of it was just to show like, hey, you know, just relax. Like, I love you. Just receive from me. And it was unwinding this kind of works mentality. But I think when that thing, when that thing goes too far— what we start to expect is a really deep inner life and all the riches of the kingdom, but without any of the conditional statements that we read in the scriptures. Right? Like, there's a lot of conditional statements that we read in the scriptures, and we never go so far that those conditions are then earning something that Jesus didn't pay for. That's not, you don't go into a, okay, well, I've fasted for a day, so I deserve a big revelation. It never turns into that, like, tit for tat, like, I've earned this thing. 
But there's also a side of it that is like a lot of this, there's conditional stuff in here. Why do some get and others don't? Well, it's because some obey him and others don't. And so the the thing that I kind of find is the constant tension of life is this thing where it's like, this life is 100% on his grace and it always will be. And Jesus' blood has everything I'll ever need. And man, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And then there's this other part where there's like, but wait, he requires a lot. But he doesn't give everything for free. And, and I see it playing out in my life and I see it playing out in the lives of people all over the church where some people are in this thing where they're like, you know, I need to do everything. And in the scriptures, what those people were doing was getting circumcised. It's kind of weird. But in Galatians, it talks about this one group that's like still trying to earn things before God by doing these religious rituals that are empty and stuff. Like our version of that looks like, you know, fasting when God hasn't led you into a fast and, you know, reading your Bible, but doing it in a way that's disconnected from his spirit And, you know, there's like a bunch of religious activities that you can do that are totally separated from the awareness that all of this hinges on God's grace and God's move on all of it. And and then there, so there's like a, there's like a striving version, but then there's this other version that's totally not striving and not striving for anything. That's kind of just kicked back and it's kind of like, cool, Lord, like, you know, I expect my, my inner life to get rich whenever you want it to get rich. And I'll just like lay here on my back and do nothing and expect that, you know, something, I'm going to get hit by a lightning bolt of glory and, and turn from, you know, half-hearted to, to other. Or, you know, you'll just come at some moment and break this thing off my life and I'll be set free. And I think that like, I'm also realizing at the same time that all of the limitations that I have in terms of the inner richness that I have with, li- with God, they have to do with my own limitations. Like the limitations aren't on his end. He's not waiting 10 years for me to, to then just give me, okay, now's my moment where I'm gonna like whack you with my glory cloud and then you're gonna get it. Like our waiting is an active waiting in other words. Like even our waiting and even the passive version, even the one where you know, you're just kind of hanging out and you're like reveling in God's grace. Like, wow, God, you really did this. Like, I truly come to you empty-handed and then, and you give me riches. But like, almost every aspect of that life where you're so consciously aware of his grace is still active. It's not passive. It's, it's not just like, this isn't like spiritual socialism. You know, like some people work hard, others don't, and everybody gets the same. That's not this. All over the scriptures, you see some people get a lot of richness in the Lord, and other people's get none. And so I want to talk about a couple of the things in the scriptures that it gives us as keys as to how to access this really deep, rich inner life um, that have to do with, with Jesus' commands and, and kind of another dimension of them. So the first one is waiting. All over the scripture, this sounds funny because this doesn't feel very active, but the first one I want to throw out there is waiting. 
Waiting is kind of like fasting. Fasting food is the denial of an earthly thing that's good uh, because you're recognizing that it's a spiritual food that's even more important. And so you take something that's good and you deny it and you say, yes, that's good, but there's a spiritual thing that's more important, and so I'm going to deny the thing that's good, and I'm going to embrace the thing here that, uh, that is more important. Waiting is kind of like fasting from activity, which is why it's so dang hard. Waiting is, is, is saying, I refuse to rely upon my own strength in my life and my own reason in my life. Like me just getting busier is not going to help anything. And so waiting is like this fasting where you just stop and you go, this is a recognition that if I spend 10 minutes doing something in the spirit, it's better than 10 years in my own efforts. And there's a physical expression of that that happens. And you stop and you turn everything down and you refuse to work in that time, and you purely wait. It's all over the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, the moment or the, the time before the Spirit of God comes in extreme power on the early church, the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, what precedes it? Jesus' command to wait on him in Jerusalem. He goes to about 120 people and he says, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's going to be fire. Now what I need you to do is go wait on me in Jerusalem. And they're there for 40 days or so, just hanging out. I wonder what the heck they were doing. It, like The Bible doesn't even talk about anything they were doing for that 40 days. The point is that they were waiting. The point is, is I've discipled you for three years, don't go and bother doing anything. Just wait, because all of this hinges around the Holy Spirit filling with you with power. And so just wait. And so, you know, the only thing that they show is they got kind of bored, and like, they're like, well, wait, Judas isn't one of the disciples anymore. We've got 11. Should we roll some dice to find out who, like, the last one is? That's like the only game that we found that they came up with. But other than that, it was just waiting. Wait on me in Jerusalem. I've told this story a bunch, but I'm going to tell it again because it's relevant and it's good. When Suki and I were on our honeymoon, we were supposed to do, I think it was like five days in Rome, five days in Firenze, Florence, and then five days in Venice. Oh, in Toscana too, and do some wine region stuff. And so we had planned this whole thing out, and we were, like, excited to do it. As you can imagine, it's our honeymoon, right? And I'm walking in Rome, and I'm, like, going down the streets, and I feel this, like, bolt of something go through me, and I hear, wait on me in Rome. That's it. Just wait on me in Rome. No big deal. Thanks, Lord. You know, no explanation. Don't worry, I'm going to do great things. Don't worry, your wife is a godly woman. She'll understand. Just... <laughs> wait on me in Rome. That's it. And so it took me like a couple of days of wrestling with the Lord and being like, really? Are you going to ruin my honeymoon? Like, that was the first thought that I had, of course. Like, really? Are you going to ruin my honeymoon? And then it was like, 
well, what do you want to do in Rome? <laughs> like, what are we going to do for two weeks in Rome? What does wait on me in Rome mean? I don't even know what that means. Like, wh- what is it, you know? And then it was like, this probably isn't God, you know? And there was like multiple stages of how this thing rolled out. But eventually, uh, I told Suki, and she didn't like bear witness of saying like, oh, I, I bear witness that that's God. She just said, if you feel like that's what God's saying, then we should do it. And <clears throat> there was a lot of wrestling that went through it. This was not an easy choice, as you can imagine, like put yourself in that honeymoon spot. And we both ended up saying yes. The next, call it five days, every morning I'd get up and I'd spend time with the Lord. We had this like terrible little um, hotel room where it was like two twin beds pushed together, you <laughs> know? So, like, in the middle of the night, you, like, it separates, and you're, like, falling through the sheets. Yeah, you end up in a hammock in the middle of the night. Um, I, would, I would go and spend time with the Lord, and I'd, like, open my Bible or read a sentence of the book that I was reading, and instantly I was in a level of revelation of God and glory and love and understanding. God's presence was so thick and so real that I was just laying on this bed, like feeling like there was pulses of love going through my body and him showing me things about his kingdom and intimacy and mysteries. And I just lay there and sometimes he'd go back to childhood stuff and heal something that like was still going on in my heart. Like I'd have visions of childhood stuff and I could feel his love just like washing over that area and I'd get up and that sting was gone and like I'd just get, oh, like I get up like an hour and a half later, two hours later and I'm like, oh, like I'd look at Suki, you know? I don't know if you, did you ever look over and see me like, because <laughs> kind of embarrassing, right? Like, you don't get a private room. And I was, like, so deep into it. Like, I did not care what was going on. And I was just, like, like crazy glory. And of course, on the back end of that, you go, like, oh my gosh, like, that over Venice a hundred times over. Right? But, like, even in that, what God's, what God's statement was, was, like, hey, dial down the thing that you're doing. And just wait on me. Just like stop the thing that feels really important to you right now and remember what's really important. Just wait. Just wait with expectation. Just stop for a minute and just wait. And it was so rich and so marking on my life and, and so powerful. And what I got there c- couldn't be traded for. I'd never travel again for that right? Like, it wasn't just a few days around Italy. It was, like, so much better that I felt like the guy who'd sell all his treasures and buy the the pearl of great price joyfully, you know? And I think in—if we we just take that into our world, I personally have been coming out of a season where I had a hard time sleeping because my wheels were going so fast. Do you guys ever get that? where, like, work is especially intense and you're working, like, longer hours or, um, you know, like, you're really concerned about the things that are going on in the world and they feel really big and real and they're, like, active in you. Um, you know, sometimes it's, like, 
working yourself out of a shame spiral or something like that, but like when the world gets big and active and spinning, uh, hopefully you guys like resonate with what that can feel like. But I know that that's starting to happen for me when one, I have a hard time sleeping. I don't ever have a hard time going to sleep. I always have a hard time like in the morning staying, staying asleep. So I'll wake up like 3.30 and then the wheels will just whoosh, you know, go. Or if I start, start not liking uh, idle thought time. Like if you have a hard time just driving home with your radio off or something like that, or no podcasts, or sitting on the BART and just holding the handle and kind of like staring off into the oblivion. Like, if you feel the need at any moment to always have something going on, that's usually a good indicator that your, 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 your flywheel is going real fast. And what I'd like to propose to you is that Waiting on the Lord is mentioned over and over and over in the Bible. I'll read another one in Psalm 27 in a second. But what I've noticed, and biblically this is true, is we have to fight to dial down the craziness of this world if we have a shot at hearing him and experiencing him and living with his mindset and living from his reality and living in peace and living in joy and living in, com- in, in patience, and all of these goodness and self-control, like all of these things are fruits of the Spirit. And I'd propose to you that becoming still and learning how to be still with the Lord is not optional. It's not an optional thing. I would propose to you that it's one of the very few keys to a really deep, rich joyous life with God. Because there's a lot of different dimensions to this. But one of the things that I know to be true from my own Christian life is that I only have the capacity to love and to be patient and to be kind and to be gentle with people and to operate in boldness that I've experienced from him actively. I've tried to do all of these things apart from the abiding work and the, the richness of his lifeblood flowing through me. And you know what happens? You get really bitter. You get really bitter. I can't tell you how many times that I've been bitter that I couldn't be more loving in that case or, you know, that all that I had done wasn't enough yet for me to, blah, blah, to X, Y, Z. Like when you really do life with God and you engage in the tough things of the world and you come and listen to my wife speak hard messages, when you read your Bible and you realize that there's areas where like God's pushing on stuff, like our ability to for the long haul not just tolerate that stuff, but rejoice in that stuff has everything to do with your ability to be still before the Lord and allow his love to flow into your deepest parts of your being and to reestablish yourself. And there's like this, it's like a, it's like a backstop for your faith. 
Like when things become complex and you're not sure exactly what's going on and you're about to be burned out and you start to get bitter at God, you just back up into this place and you get back into your safety zone and you go, oh yeah, like I have this place with God where I can stop and I can rest and I can receive from him and I know I remember that he loves me and I know that when he died for me, he remembered that I would be figuring all this stuff out over this course of time. Like he's not shocked by this. Like he died for me when he knew all that stuff was going on. There's this backstop that has everything to do with like, oh yeah, like Jesus made me good with God. Like I can, I can, I can allow his goodness to wash over me. I can get into the quiet place and remember his promises. And the ability to do that over the long haul, you have got to learn how to do that. And what I'd propose to you today is that I think one of the biggest enemies of developing that is simply stillness. We need to learn how to wait. And the crazy thing about waiting is that you're not really doing anything. You're kind of like the disciples in the upper room where you're like, all right, what do we do here? You know, and God's like, just wait. Just wait. Wait with expectation. Wait knowing that he's there. Wait knowing that he's supreme. Wait knowing that everything that you could do in your own strength, it's all rags if it's not done in faith of his goodness and his active power. So you just kind of wait. And one of the, one of the things that I've, I've been doing lately and has been total life to me is that in my waiting, all I'm trying to do in that moment is just be aware of his presence. Like, I'm just sitting there being like, okay, God, make me aware of your presence again. Like, I know you're here with me. I know you dwell in me, but the world feels really big right now. Just show me your presence again. Show me that you're right here with me. Just like, I'm here waiting, and I just wait. I just wait. And then sometimes his spirit becomes big and real and rich and alive and I feel him throughout my entire being and other times he doesn't. But I know that he sees. He sees what's going on in the secret place and he's promised to reward. And so I just wait. In Psalm 27 it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's how the psalm begins. It's in verse 4. But this is how it ends. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So the first thing is you need a, ditch, a deep, rich inner life. The second thing is, is that's going to be happened by becoming one with his spirit. The third thing is, the way that you train yourself to be one with his spirit is by getting still, getting before him, and remembering that he's with you, and that he's filled you, and that there's promises over your life, and that you're loved by him, like all of that stuff. And I'd say for the pros in the room that have done this for a long time, I'd give you an extra special challenge. Don't let this thing become a binary thing. Don't let it be a static thing. Don't be like, a, oh yeah, I do that or I don't do that. It's not that. 
It's the eternally rich thing that we need to maintain our fire that what I have now and my ability to connect with him in the deep inner place, that's going to be nothing to what I have in a year. And that we need to stay sharp and alive and it's not just like, oh yeah, I know how to keep myself happy now so I'm not going to really go after this thing. So much of my pursuit of God when I was younger in my faith was just to stay out of depression. Honestly. But the days that I'd pray, I'd be joyful. The days that I didn't, I'd be depressed. It was like clockwork. And so it was like God had me on training wheels. You know, or it was like, I'm just not going to let you not pray. You know, you'll learn pretty quickly that you'll be miserable without me, right? And I was. And it was his grace. But now I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that every day. I know his truths. I, I've felt his love. I've experienced him deeply. We need to learn how to keep our young fire even in a place where we're more satisfied by just the, the place where we li live by default now. No. Um, I just wanted to share one short thing um, to kind of add to this. I felt like the Lord, um, as Ryan was sharing, was just saying that spending time with him is nonlinear. And I don't know if that means anything to anyone, but I felt like it's not a direct uh, transactional correlation. And I think that when we think about quiet times or times with the Lord mm. as linear, then we be then it becomes very problematic. And what that and I and I felt like the Lord gave me this image, and it was kind of a strange image, to imagine times with Him as when you sit down, you're sitting into a big warm bathtub almost like what it is because we're talking about like embracing the presence of God and what the presence of God is it's it's, it's something that envelops us it's not like an objective and a place and a destination that you're trying to go and that you can measure it mm. by something it's not a measurable thing and it may not be a one-time quiet time it is cultivating a life where we learn how to become undone mm. and be and though those are just words, I felt like for some people that might be helpful when we're thinking about what it means to step into a place where we're in his presence because his presence is spirit. And a lot of times we're so used to operating on all the other um, components of us that are not spirit, that are all human and fleshly and natural, that to step into a place where we're like, okay, I'm here and I'm going into a little like a big warm insulation deprivation, a sensory deprivation chamber where I'm just going to sit. And the other thing that I felt like the Lord was saying is one of the enemies to really being able to cultivate a deep inner life is the fear of boredom. Mm -hmm. I feel like our culture is constantly inundating us with the need to not be bored. And I really really believe this yeah. that boredom and the ability to embrace it is really important to being able to become to be in a place where you can hear from the lord and so if there is a fear of boredom or that and just talk to the lord about it because it is the enemy of stillness so that was it nice thank you jump in anytime On the, on the vein of, like, practical things, I wanted to give you one more kind of practical one. Maybe a couple more practical ones. But when you think about the life in the flesh and the life in the spirit, 
there's a way of reading your Bible where you're reading it in your flesh. And the way that you read your Bible in the flesh is where you think you have the capability of understanding the things that you're reading. There's, there's no fruit in that. In fact, what that does is it, re- it leads to uh, religious spirit, a religious spirit. It, it leads to you thinking you know a bunch of stuff, but having no experience of the deep spiritual part of, the, of whatever truth you're in. You know, like, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but in this culture, it's very Greek in the way, like, it, it ties back where we think we can know something because we cognitively know it. Like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, so I know it. That's not at all how the Hebrew culture thought about knowledge of, of really anything. That, that knowing something was, yes, I understand it in my brain, but I understand it to a place where I, c- I have experienced it. And so I think this whole concept of like, knowing something but not really knowing it, I think is like totally permeated the church and our lives where we, we think we think we're a lot more mature in Christ than we are. Because it's like, oh yeah, I know, I know exactly the right answer to that that Bible question. But then it's like Jesus with his disciples and his boat where he's like, Do you guys have any faith? Like when you when you really get into your core heart's belief, is there faith there? It's like a totally different thing. And so there, there's, a, there's a way of being a Bible pro and reading your Bible that's totally fleshly. And so what I'd like to propose to you is that reading your Bible in the Spirit is first and foremost a recognition that you need the Spirit of God to unveil everything that's happening in that book. And if you try to do it in your own flesh, you're not going to get anything out of it. And so what I've started to do is because I'm trying to cultivate depth, I feel like I have a ton of breadth. I don't know if any of you resonate with this. I feel like I have a ton of breadth, right? Like I went to seminary for a few years, did a bunch of like Bible studies and like listened to a zillion sermons and like I got some breadth, right? Like I've been exposed to this stuff for decades now. And I want depth. I want depth. I don't need these days a new revelation of something that's like outside of the, the core fold, right? Like, I want depth. I want to take something like faith or love or peace, and I want to go like, I want to drill down 3,000 feet below the surface and like have that kind of foundation in those core truths, right? And, and I, I would just propose to you that like the church is dying for depth right now. And, and one of the best ways that I've found for depth to come is that you, you read your Bible, but it's spirit-led. And so what I mean by that is going into the time, clearly you recognize that this is a journey of, of following the Spirit of God through a book. And then you start reading, and you read until you feel something resonate in your spirit. You feel like something grabs you in a way that's different than every other word that was on that page. And then you don't go like, oh, that was awesome, and make a little note in your Bible and then cruise by. That's not what you do. 
that, that's like surface level journey stuff. It's not all bad. Like there's a place for it. I'm just saying like what I would propose that you do is you read until you have a moment like that and then you stop and you lay on your back or get on your knees and you go, whatever that scripture was, let's just take one that's in here. Let's say it's uh, this one thing I asked from the Lord and that one just stands out to you and you're like, whoa. You don't cruise by. You spend the rest of your quiet time or until you feel like the Spirit of God is done on that moment, just going like, yes, Lord, this one thing, this one thing, God, it's the only thing that I desire, Lord. This one thing, God, show me anything in my life, God, that would compete with the one thing. And you do this journey. I'm about to get going and just like leave you all out there and go. <laughs> and you do this journey where you start to go into the layers and you, you, what that is, is it's honoring the move of God in your quiet time. It's paying respect to him putting his finger on something and not blazing by it. This isn't about reading 18 chapters a day. This is about engaging with God. That's what quiet time is about. That's what waiting on him is about. It's about engaging with him where he leads you on a journey. And it makes quiet time so much more fun, by the way. It's actually like an adventure where you get before God and you're like, Ooh, I'm so excited. Where are we going to go today? Like, I'm going to take your hand. Like, take me to the place where you want. And so I'll do that. I'll do that for the whole thing if he wants to spend the whole time that way. Say it lifts off halfway through. Then maybe at some point I'll get to my stuff. You know, like, maybe at some point I'll get to the thing of like, oh yeah, like this thing's been on my mind these days and like blah, blah, blah. But like after I've talked about what he wants to talk about, usually I don't care that much. And so it's a, like a releasing our agenda. It's, it's a releasing of control. It's a, it's a handing him the reins and saying, show me where you want to spend time today. And you just read, read your Bible until something grabs you and then you just grab it and then you chew on it and then you go deeper and then you go deeper and then you go deeper and I feel like, for some people, there's a fear of leaving the flesh and going into the Spirit. There's a fear of saying, like, I don't really know what's over there, so I'm just going to stay right here. And I feel this sometimes in our worship sets, where it's like building, and it's building, and it's building, and there's some people that are just like embracing what the Spirit of God is doing, and you can feel His presence, you release to it, and it's like, you know, like the only reason why I raise my arms is because it's a, it's a visible, uh, not visible, it's a physical agreement with what I feel like God is doing. And so if He's building something and it's about to surrender, I'm like, I'm giving myself to what you're doing right now, God. I'm giving all of myself, my insides and my body, to what you're doing right now. And there's the equivalent of that that's in a quiet time, where God starts to do something, and you feel the word coming, and you lean into it, and you go, I'm giving myself to the word that is coming to me right now, and I'm going to allow you to do whatever you want to do with me with that word. In John 15, it talks about abiding. Very similar to John 14, of what it looks like to live in him, abide in him. 
And there's a few different areas where it says abide in him. And there's usually something different uh, on the other side of abiding. There's a abide in me. There's a abide in my love. There's a abide in my word. These are kind of different dimensions and they speak to different things of abiding. The one that I was just talking about in terms of abiding in his word, that's what this is. When you give yourself and you lean into the word that's being spoken to you and you, you absorb it down into your spirit, you're giving yourself to his word. You're choosing to abide deeply in his word. It doesn't just stay up here. That's not abiding. It's abiding when it starts to come into the deepest parts of your being. And some of you will probably resonate with this, but I now feel it. I can feel it when it goes from something that's just kind of here to when my spirit opens up, which is funny language, but I can feel my spirit opening up to God and receiving the deep things of him. And it's like it sinks down in and then I like, I like cover it back up and it's like, okay, that's mine now. And I know that that word now is going to bear fruit in my life because it's like a seed that has been thrown in. I've received it into the deepest part of my being, and now I protect it, and I go, no, 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 now this one's mine. And sometimes you don't even know where the fruit will start popping out, but like things will start to happen, and, you, and it's just like, it's the kingdom power inside of you. So I want to stop there because... I feel like that's enough, you know? Like, if we're talking about stuff not as an intellectual exercise, but as like, I think we all have enough kind of homework at this point to go and, and put this into practice. And so I kind of just feel like I have, I have more stuff on here, but let's just stop because I feel like that's enough. And so, you know, in summary, it's like, man, we all want a deep, rich inner life. The way that happens is by becoming one with the Spirit. One of the biggest opponents or enemies that you're going to need to get over in order to be one with the Spirit is boredom and busyness. And so let's learn how to wait. And as we wait, here's one practical way where you can have deep richness in your inner life in terms of waiting. Read Understand that he's the leader of your journey. Wait for his spirit to highlight something. Grab that thing. Start to pray into it and digest it and allow yourself to be given to that thing. Allow yourself to be loud in your prayer life. Pray out loud. Like, be physical with it. Like, allow it to engage your entire being. I think, feel like so often we're kind of just too timid with this stuff, but like, if you hear something like, get on your face before the Lord and get your arms out and start praying out loud and start to engage your entire being because in so doing, what you're doing is you're, you're allowing that thing to, to, to consume you in the deepest parts. And then learn how to receive his word in the deepest place and honor that word that he's given you. It only needs to be literally a verse. As long as he's speaking on it, it will be spirit and life to you. And then you receive it in your innermost being and you cover it up and you thank him for it. And you do that every day. And over time, I think we start to develop really deep, rich depth in our spiritual life. Amen?
So my hope for us is that in this talk, what I've done is I've stirred up a desire in you, that the Spirit of God is stirring up a desire in you to seek Him, and then also give a tool of just like, what does it look like to wait on Him? What does it look like to seek Him? Try this this week and, and see how it goes. Does that sound good? Cool. Let's stand and I'll pray and we can end. Father, we, um, we, your people, say that we want to be deeply spiritual people. God, I pray that you would make your church, this one and all over the globe, deeply spiritual. That we would know the prize of being able to be one in experience with your spirit and to have your lifeblood and to have your mind and to have your heart flow through us, God. And God, we, myself included, just repent for the busyness of life. Just simply call it out, Lord, that most of us, not all of us, but most of us in this place are too busy to give the time that we need to live this kind of deep spiritual life. And so, Father, I ask, God, that, that this week that you would give us a grace and you'd give us an awareness and you'd empower us to move into this life where there's increased waiting, there's increased stillness, and we jump on this journey of honoring your presence, valuing your leadership, taking your hand and allowing you to lead us into the deepest things of God. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have access to the deepest things of God by your Spirit. And I ask God that, that you would make us a people that take you so seriously in that. And that as we get before you, we come with expectancy saying, we've been given the Spirit so that we can unearth the deepest things of God. And for even the most mature, quote-unquote, in this room, I pray that you'd instill a childlike fire, a childlike fire that would burn so bright, God, that it would compel us to fast, a fire that would compel us to spend hours with you, even push through boredom, to put down the movie, to shut off Netflix for a while, to to still things out in pursuit of you. God, I pray that you'd make us a people that have a deep, rich inner life by cherishing your word and allowing you to walk us through it and to show us what it means and to show us your heart. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that understand that prayer, that prayer that um, David prayed, that there is one thing that we seek. Yep one thing that we ask God that's a big statement yeah and King David probably had a ton of responsibilities how much of <laughs> us how many of us are ruling an entire kingdom of real people and yet he said 
that there was one thing. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people that see the value in that. And as we head into um, this next season, the thing that's going to keep us grounded, Lord God, is that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's going to keep us unshaken. That's the thing that's going to keep our feet solid. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just, we invite you anew to set our hearts on fire. Let us hunger for you in a way that we haven't in a long time. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Good times.